0: Hello and welcome to Knighton on Negotiation, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Knighton. My philosophy is that you cannot change the other person you negotiate with, but you can change how you negotiate with them to achieve better outcomes for you or your organization. This podcast series includes interviews, lectures, speeches, and webinars and includes materials from all four of my books. For more information and free resources, please visit www.jknighton.com. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the and on Negotiation podcast. I'm thrilled to have co-author Lawrence Kane with me today. Lawrence and I co-wrote the Contract Professionals Playbook and co-authored the corresponding Contract Professionals e-learning program. Be sure to check out the links to both the book and the program in the paragraph with the podcast. Lawrence Kane is a SIG Sourcing Supernova Hall of Fame recipient. Wow, Lawrence, that's a, that's a mouthful. And <laughs> today is. we're here to talk about understanding payment milestones and how to best leverage them. A payment milestone is used in contracts typically for contracts that extend over a period of time to establish progress and are best when they are somehow tied to work that would be considered critical path. Lawrence? Let's talk about when to use payment milestones, how to best identify payment milestones, and then three tips to best leverage payment milestones in your contract. Sounds great. Okay. So when, all right, let's start actually at the beginning. So I gave a little bit of a definition of a payment milestone. Do you have anything that you would like to add to the elements over a period of time to establish progress and tied typically to critical path work?
1: Sure. I think it really has to do with what are you buying, right? So you may be buying a long-term contract, say for a managed service, and you're paying a monthly service fee and maybe an event rate. That's something that doesn't need payment milestones because it's a recurring service for the same thing in most instances. Say, like, you know, a service desk or some kind of IT uh, hosting service, something like that, right? Whatever it happens to be. Uh, but a lot of times we will go to a supplier and ask them to create something for us. And that something takes time to build. You now, it could be hardware, it could be software, it could be a service, but it's something where it's not that recurring known element. It's something that takes time to complete. So say maybe you're doing agile software development as an example and creating some new functionality or system integration or or whatever that you don't really know how long it's going to take. You're going to you're going to do multiple sprints over program increments. You're going to create a minimum viable product and then you're going to go implement uh, changes to that once it's out in production. Pretty common thing in, in the software world. Well the development part, if you're doing the traditional waterfall method, you know what your your key milestones are along that critical path. But if you're doing agile, you have to get a little creative and do it differently. Say paying for a, a completed successfully, um, uh, you know, a program increment or maybe a, a user story that's completed successfully or something along those lines. Uh, I typically prefer to be tied user stories, because then you, then you know you've got value in it. But the point is that you have to align the milestones to the right kind of contract so that it makes sense to both parties.
0: So let's talk about that. What kind of contracts or structures are best suited for milestone when you say that they have to be tied to be manageable and meaningful?
1: Yeah, so you need a statement of work that says you're going to do certain things right so maybe think about like building a house maybe a milestone payment is the foundation gets poured and another one is it's framed out another one is the exterior is complete you know the plumbing the electrical whatever right those are things that maybe if you're going to have a custom built house and it's going to take six months to do the the supplier has to go buy a bunch of material they have to provide a bunch of labor You certainly don't want to arbitrarily give them half up front. That's part of, you know, why we get a lot of lawsuits in in construction, right? Because you end up overpaying for the amount of of investment they need to make, and then they might be motivated to not complete things, right? As opposed to if you're looking at it from maybe an earned value sort of perspective, how far along am I in my schedule? How much um, uh, of the completion of the value of that end? product have I gained, or something that looks at certain, you know, key tentpole items in there, which is a big investment, then it's a good way to share that risk where the supplier gets enough to cover their expenses. So they're not going to go out of business on you, but you're not paying for a bunch of things you haven't received yet. And it sort of motivates the supplier to get it done on time with appropriate quality.
0: Mm -hmm. And so when choosing appropriate milestones, are there any rules of thumb to to choose the appropriate marker or milestone for a payment in certain types of contracts?
1: Well, broadly, it varies, you know, depending on what you're buying, but um, I like to tie it to a specific deliverable in the statement of work that I know is impactful, and as you've mentioned previously, it's on the critical path. So, you know, I might find there's a bunch of little milestones maybe that get missed, which aren't that big of a deal because they can course correct. But if there's a key, uh, you know, critical path item. So think about like flying from, say, we're in Seattle, flying to New York, right? Maybe we have a stopover in Chicago. Well, if we don't get to that stopover in time to make the connecting flight, we're never going to get to New York on time. But it's not just us. It's also our luggage. So maybe there's some milestones where, you know, the the airplane is looking at how much progress have we got towards Chicago. Or are we having headwinds? Do we have to go into a holding pattern because of some congestion at the airport, whatever? But as long as they get there by a certain time and you can make the connecting flight, not a problem. And so think about it as those, you know, it, connecting flight kind of things, making sure that you and your luggage are there at the right place at the right time. Uh, and in the case of flying you know, safely, et cetera. Right. So that you're going to make the next flight to the next flight. So that ultimately, when you get to the end, you're there on time.
0: Who typically is the best suited to choose the milestones? Is it the contract professional, the subject matter expert who's writing the scope of work or a team?
1: I prefer a team, uh, and, and in some cases, I actually like to do it collaboratively with the supplier as well. It depends on what it is. I mean, if we're creating a new something that never existed before, I kind of want the supplier's buy into that because, um, you know, we, there's no known answer. If it's if it's a, a thing that's been done in the past, and we've got some really good data to fall back on, subject matter expertise can be great. But it's always useful to have a conversation and that's one of the areas that the sourcing professional, the, 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 the contract professional can demonstrate some value by asking smart questions around, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Because the subject matter experts tend to look at it from a technology perspective, not necessarily from a business perspective. And so they might have something that's tied to, you know, a deep architectural element of design, which isn't necessarily reflective of the best business relationship and the best way to motivate the supplier. And that can include things like um, having penalties, but not earn backs, for example, right. which may not be appropriate.
0: Right. No, this is a great conversation because in a situation that I'm currently mentoring the negotiations, part of the team, because we're doing this by team with in, in collaboration with the supplier, uh, mm-hmm. Part of the team in private co- conversations, I'm on the buy side wants to, you know, have certain milestones, um, but but we the buyer haven't thought that far. So we don't have that all mapped out yet, and so it's fascinating when you are able to bring the supplier into the conversation where they know the work better than we do there, if you've developed the appropriate rapport, such as an invested environment, they will tell you, this is what you need to milestone. You don't need to milestone this. You don't understand. This isn't going to give you the data or the information that you want. If you're worried about you know that flight and connecting with your baggage, this is what you need to pay attention to. When it When the plane landed, and is there enough time to take the baggage from one plane, get it off and processed and onto the other part of the airport through the tarmac, that's what you need to worry about, not all these other things like did it take off on time and stuff like that. And so that's a really critical aspect that I would encourage our listeners to focus on is do you have the kind of collaborative relationship internally within your company and then externally with the other party where you could transparently talk about what milestones will be meaningful.
1: Absolutely. And usually we're hiring suppliers for the kinds of work where milestone payments are appropriate because they know more about it than we do. We might know what success looks like. We might not know. We may know how to measure that success, but we might not know what really is on the critical path or, you know, where their uh, big expenses are. And we might not think of things like tariffs or compliance costs or, you know, other things that that we didn't You know consider because we don't do that work ourselves and so maybe they got a bunch of overhead up front that really needs to be in an early milestone payment to make them whole and we didn't even know that was a thing because we're just looking at it from a bill materials perspective
0: right exactly all right well let's talk about three best practices let's start with the first best practice which is How do we avoid arguments about whether that milestone was or was not achieved?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is so important. Uh, It's really by having a good statement of work that's got acceptance criteria and deliverables that are actually measurable. Uh, I've seen a lot where SLAs or other metrics aren't actually measurable because nobody figured about what's the source system? Where is the data coming from? How do we know? and you want to have a really objective way of knowing even if it's sort of a, a, a an objective subjective way like a customer satisfaction survey or something where you know that's based on emotion but you're doing a survey so you've got data and numbers that you can calculate uh net promoter score things like that or actual you know here's a system performance number here's a you know physical distance number here's a time value or whatever it is make sure that it's measurable in some you know way that that preferably is automatable and that's empirical and it's not arguable, so that you're going to spend your time going, this is either there or it's not there, and not arguing about what's the definition of this and what's the definition of there.
0: Very good. Uh, this is an interesting one because it's, I find that some of the companies that I work for do rely too much on the subjective, the happiness factor, the smiley face. And I'm, I personally, am not sure that milestone payments ought to be tied to the smiley face, but I do believe that incentives and bonuses should be, what are your thoughts on the subjective portion? I I believe you said it's not something you're in favor of.
1: Well, not eh, (laughs) uh, the real answer is it depends. I'm not in favor of it for milestone payments in most instances, but let me give an example. I, I mentioned earlier Agile software procurement, right? Maybe you have a mixed team that's a little bit of the buyer and a lot of the supplier. Well, in that case, the stakeholder satisfaction might be a really big deal because we're creating mm-hmm. something together and we need to have really good teaming. And so you might deliver it on time. But if you never really understood what those what those um, unmet business need is and how it translates to user stories and you're not getting along and you're sort of pushing a a solution looking for a problem as opposed to really listening and interacting with with the you know the right user base, then you're actually going to end up with a minimum viable product that isn't. Right. So you'll end up with a with an outcome that is suboptimal or or no mm-hmm. good at all. And so mm-hmm. you know think about all the software that you'd buy, especially in the early days where, you know, you couldn't figure it out. It wasn't intuitive. And, you know, if you have to, it's it's like a joke, right? If you have to explain the punchline, it's not very good. Same thing with the user interface. If you have yeah. to explain it, it's not very good. And so there yeah. are some subjective things in there that maybe are appropriate in certain circumstances. But typically, I'm really looking for, you know, some kind of major, uh, uh, you know, deliverable that I can test from a time perspective, from a quality perspective, from a percent complete, whatever it is, right? It's uh, it's gotta be something that's very um, measurable and manageable at the same time.
0: And so that's a great segue into the second best practice to leverage milestone payments. And that is how do we achieve balanced and fair pricing because we could be in situations where we're if we're the customer paying more in a milestone payment than the value that's been given to the customer.
1: Absolutely, yeah, there's a difference between cost and value and a lot of people fail to understand that or really appreciate it. Uh, you know, going back to the to the building the house example again, right? It might cost a lot for the materials to build the foundation and, you know, frame the walls or whatever. But there's no value in a house that is that you can't live in, right? And so there's there's got to be some um, kind of give and take between the underlying cost structure of the supplier and the value to the customer, and kind of overlay that with um, how are we being fair and incentivizing the right behaviors. So, you know, maybe there is legitimately some upfront overhead that should be in early milestone payments. Or maybe you're holding all that overhead and profit margin and bonus and whatever uh, towards the end or towards very significant milestones along the way where if the supplier is going to walk or fail or, you know, gut a business or whatever, you would actually have something you could resell and, and it's got some value to it. And so, exactly. you know, that's where... Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a two way conversation. Uh, I hate to edict stuff like that, right? Because I want to understand the perspective of the of the supplier, because ultimately I want a great deal, and a great deal for me means that the supplier makes a reasonable and competitively based profit margin, and wants to do business again, right? Assuming mm-hmm. I like their work, I don't mean, want one and done on either side, usually
0: right and the when in the commercial world unlike a house the buyer always has to think about step in with these milestone payments so if i paid enough to the supplier to repl- to reflect the cost and the value however if the contractor frames the house but doesn't complete the work they go out of business something happens some catastrophic failure and i as the customer have to step in, get a third party to complete the house, then has, have the milestones adequately address the cost to that point, but without paying for overhead and possibly profit, because i now going to be eating a lot of costs to get a third party in to finish the work. Yeah. How do milestones address those sorts of situations?
1: Typically, that's something that you can, uh, if it's well thought out, that you can look at the points at which it's appropriate to think about uh, like a fixed fee plus incentive style of contract, right? Mm -hmm. If you get to certain milestones at a certain quality, a certain time, maybe it's worth a little more, right? And so Mm -hmm. we're doing a positive incentive as opposed to a negative incentive, Mm-hmm. But um, I want to make sure that I don't have unbundled pricing. In other words, um, whatever mm-hmm. I believe the supplier's underpinning cost structure is, I want to at least cover that, and then have a decision about is adding anything over and above that a value to me as the buyer, and and part of that value to me as the buyer is how well it incentivizes the you know the seller. Mm-hmm. But. But if you have a, a an unbundled uh, or, or, you know, um, if the if the pricing doesn't kind of overlay with the cost and you're giving a whole bunch of profit up front or, yes. make, or you know, withholding a whole bunch of profit up front, that's going to affect the way the contract going to ultimately work. And so want you want to do that intentionally?
0: Right. Right. No, that makes complete sense. Because if you've Inadvertently, in a a completely bundled situation in a lump sum plus incentive, provided a lot of overhead and a lot of profit for work that may not be complete or may not have the kind of quality and the customer needs to step in, there's no way to claw that back, that overhead or that profit.
1: Right. I mean, you, that would have to go to court. Right. And and you're going to yeah. lose, Um, you know, yeah. no offense to the attorney on the other side of the call here. But, um, you know, attorney's fees, if anything goes to court, means that both parties lose some and the attorney makes makes out whole. Right. And right. ultimately, we never want to go to court if we can help it. But we do sure. want to be positioned in a way that we're going to drive the right behavior and yeah. and not have to do that. Right. I mean, ultimately, just an example, I, I had a. a big construction job in my house i I had these one single pane windows and i put in double pane windows because much more energy efficient this was years and years ago and the guy who was doing it like two-thirds of the way through just stopped and went dark and i literally had to sue him to break the contract so i could bring in another contractor to finish the work well even with having to do that i I think i ended up saving a couple hundred bucks this is at a multi-thousand dollar deal but but I happen to have calculated things correctly in terms of what I gave him to cover materials and some of the costs along the way, so that even though I had to, to break the you know go to court break contract and hire somebody else, it uh, it actually cost me two hundred dollars less than it would have spent if the first guy actually did the work.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great example where a contract professional can take that learning. And then now start to scale it up into the larger contracts that he or she may be working on. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the last, the third um, point for leveraging milestone payments because this is a perfect segue and that is motivation or incentivizing Are milestone payments or liquidated damages or bonuses or incentives, the best way to motivate the supplier to complete the work.
1: Yeah, it's kind of all of the above, right? You want a little bit of a carrot and a little bit of a stick. Um the the perspective I personally take with most of the things, even though it doesn't always happen, is I kind of want to build a relationship so that if everything goes well, um, we'll be back again doing it again, right? So I don't want to be too heavy on on the stick side. Um, I do want to have SLAs, I do want to have service credits, which is you know, effectively liquidated damages for value not received. Um, but I don't like to think of them as penalties, I mean, beyond the fact that penalties are legally unenforceable anyway, and that's not my perspective, right? I don't want the supplier's money. I want them to actually do what I've asked to do and to do a good job of it. However, as we all know, you know, if, you, if you're if you doing a withhold or you or you put a, a service credit against SLAs, that's going to impact the account team directly. Uh, usually, you know, affects their bonuses, might even affect their long-term employment, right? So, There's a personal motivation and a corporate motivation to tying those things together, right? Because my job performance is tied to the supplier's performance as well. And so on both sides, we're trying to make this thing sort of fair and equitable. And I tend to, depending on what it is we're buying, I tend to like having covering just the cost sort of uh, picture up front, and starting to add in more of the overhead, and then kind of the the bonus factor and and bigger profit margin at the end. Uh, not always appropriate. Depends on what you're doing. Especially if the value of, of whatever you're buying is more of a speed to market or you know something uh, very non-commodity kind of kind of thing you're buying. Um, whereas if you're buying more of a commodity, then it then it flips the equation a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. This has been absolutely. Fantastic. So any further uh, advice that you would like to give our listeners on understanding payment milestones and how to best leverage them?
1: Yeah, I think the, the most important thing is have a strategy, right? Know, know what you're getting, understand the underpinning economics, you may need to do some benchmarking or some some research or whatever, and have a pretty good idea going into the negotiation, what you think is going to drive the right behaviors so that when you go talk to the supplier about it in, in the negotiation process, you know whether you're being you know pretty straight up or not and, and what you're hearing is, is accurate and make sure it's just like any other negotiation. You, know, you need to know what your, your best alternative to negotiated agreement is. Um, it's easy to, to start playing with the finance numbers sort of and getting that out of sync with the actual work and actual value itself. And so always keep that strategy in mind so that you're really linking to ultimately get the right behaviors and the right outcomes from your contract and um, have the right, you know, sort of plan B if things start to fall apart and you need to go to some other supplier.
0: Right. Lawrence, thank you so much for your time. And listeners, if you liked what you heard here today, Lawrence and I have the Contract Professionals eBook and the corresponding e-learning program where Lawrence and I spent hours, um, hours upon hours, answering your questions and recording our answers to your questions. And those are accessible once you purchase your version of the e-learning program. So I hope that this has been helpful to all of you as listeners, and I look forward to talking to you all again. And thank you again, Lawrence.
1: No problem, thank you.